You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. It's Communion Sunday, and so we take a break from our normal preaching series, which is in the Old Testament book of Haggai, and we're going to reflect today uh, on Psalm 91 as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. So if you're able, may I ask you to stand one more time for the reading of God's word. And as you do that, I remind you that the text of Psalm 91 is printed in the, in the uh, worship folder. So you can follow along the read, uh, with the reading there. This is God's word, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love... I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, before we start, let's ask for the Lord's presence and the Lord's assistance. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I ask on behalf of all of us to to please have mercy on us this morning. Forgive us our sins. And through your word, speak to us and by your spirit, empower us to live for you and to persevere through our own suffering. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Over the years, we've preached through a remarkable number of the Psalms here at New Life. So when I was trying to figure out what Psalm we would unpack this Sunday, I 
landed on Psalm 91. I thought, this, maybe we ought to do Psalm 91. But the problem I had was that I assumed that we had already covered it. We'd already preached it because, after all, Psalm 91 is one of the best known and best loved uh, of the Psalms uh, in, uh, in all of the Psalter. So I, but when I checked our website, and, and yes, that means I don't always remember my sermons either. Um, so I had to check the website. I said, do, you know, did, has, has, did I or somebody else preach on Psalm? Somebody certainly has, has preached on Psalm 91. Discovered, no. Uh, we had not, we have not uh, covered Psalm 91. And then I reread Psalm 91 and I remembered why. Because every time in the past when I considered preaching Psalm 91, there were always people in our church family, you. There were always people among you who were suffering, who I knew were suffering. In all kinds of ways, sick with cancer, grieving the death of a loved one, struggling with a failing marriage being betrayed by friends, facing a career or financial setback. And knowing this and and talking with you and praying with you about these struggles, I couldn't bring myself to preach Psalm 91. Because as you just heard, right, when we read it out loud here, Psalm 91 seems to promise much more than it delivers, right? Right? No evil shall be allowed to befall you. Really? No plague will come near your tent. Seriously? That has particular poignance, right, in the last year or so. It seems, right, at at a surface level to mock the real problems, the real suffering that you inevitably face living in, uh, in a world that has largely turned away from God. And, and it also, and, and this was all, all, also a concern of mine, it also seems to give fodder to the Christ, critics of Christianity, right? They listen to that, and, and that may be one of you. You, you might be a critic of Christianity, and you say, yet, see, Psalm, this, what he just read just confirms everything I know about Christianity. It, it involves the denial of reality, right, and just delivers false promises and false hope. But I'm here to confess that as I reflected and studied and prayed over Psalm 91, I I should not have been deterred from preaching it. I I should have preached on it before now. God is sovereign, so now is the time. Because as I I worked through it, it, you, you discover that Psalm 91 is actually beautifully nuanced, honestly realistic, and, and much more hopeful, actually, than it even seems on a, on a surface read. Now, this is going to be a short communion meditation, because we're going to go, we have communion. So it's not a detailed exposition of this psalm. Much more could be said than I'm going to say today. But as a way to prepare uh, our hearts to, to, 
come to the table, I want to look at, at sort of the big sweep of the psalm, and really the three big points I think that it makes, even if we skip a few details. And, and here are the points. First, point number one, the promise of Psalm 91 is a promise for your protection in a perilous world. Okay? Second, the promise of Psalm 91 is not about you getting a pass from your problems. And third, the promise of Psalm 91 is about you ultimately prevailing through your problems. That's the flow of the psalm. So the promise, the, 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 whole, the big promise of the psalm is for your protection in a perilous world. But second, it's not about you getting a pass from your problems. Third, it's about you ultimately prevailing through your problems. So let's, let's unpack that. Point one. The promise of Psalm 91 is a promise for your protection in a perilous world. You see the promise here. That promise is everywhere in Psalm 91. It's expressed in different ways. At least four ways. Uh, first, the, the Lord expressly makes the promise in verse 14. I don't know if you noticed the shift in voice there. Um, in verse 14, the last three verses, 14, 15, and 16, the Lord speaks directly. And so in verse 14, as the Lord speaks, what does he say? He says, I will protect him because he knows my name. There it is. There's the promise just made clear by, by the Lord himself. Second, you see the promise in, in the... In the uh, in the names, all the names that the Lord is, is given here in this poem. Shelter, shadow, refuge, fortress, dwelling place, right? All images of protection, all conveying the idea of protection. Third, you see the promise of protection in, in what the psalm says God does. For example, in verse 11, he will command his angels to guard you in all your ways. Now it's this, it's from here we get the concept of guardian angels. Uh, there is nothing in scripture that says each believer is, a, is assigned a particular guardian angel. What this says is that God uses his army of angels uh, to guard us in our ways. I mean, that's protection, right? Angelic, supernatural protection. And then fourth, you see it in, in, in the metaphors that, that the poet uses. For example, in verse four, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Right? Again, those metaphors conveying protection. So the promise is clear. Psalm 91, this is a promise from God to you. I'm going to protect you in a perilous world, okay? Protect you from what, you may ask? Answer, virtually everything. In Psalm 91, based most of it, verses 3 through 13, is really a catalog of, of the kinds of things that the Lord has promised to protect you from. 
from major dangers to trivial dangers. You're protected from hidden dangers, traps that you don't see, right? That, that's suggested by the snare of the fowler, right? The snare is, a, is an invisible trap. You're protected from sickness. It's called plague and pestilence here. Uh, you're protected from human violence, arrows, destruction at noon. You're protected from natural disasters and dangers, lions, snakes. You're even protected from striking your foot against a stone. Or as we would say today, right, if, if, if I was drafting this psalm today, I would say uh, you're protected from stubbing your toe. So the problem is not only, or I mean, excuse me, the promise is not only clear, God is going to protect you, the problem is massive. It's massive, it's comprehensive. God is going to protect you from any peril that you're going to face in this dangerous world. And that's good news in 2021, and it's good news at any time. Now, before we move on to point two, quick, quick sidebar here. I, I just want you to notice, and it's, it's clear in the psalm, but just I want to highlight it, that this is not a promise of, a, a universal promise of protection. Right? The only person who benefits from this massive promise of protection is the person who is trusting in the Lord. Right? Trusting in the Lord, putting your faith in the Lord, trusting that he's going to keep his promise to protect you. Uh, and it's not, it's not that this protection is somehow earned by you. It's not like you have to do something extraordinary. You don't have to be Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz and go get the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West in order for God to protect you. No, the, the psalm is clear. You simply trust him. You trust in his faithfulness. You trust in his promises. You trust in his character. You trust in his heart for you. And so if that's not you, and, and every Sunday at New Life, we have people here who, would, who don't self-identify as Christians, who are not you're not trusting in, in the God of the Bible, then I need to, to tell you specifically that the, this promise that we're talking about is not for you. Now, it can be for you, but, and you, but you need to trust, trust God. So, but I want you to stick with me here because as we move through the psalm here, it's going to give you good reasons to do that. I think it will, there is truth in here that should draw your heart to the Lord and to come under his protection. Okay, so that's point one. The promise is this massive, comprehensive promise for your protection in a perilous world. Second, the promise of Psalm 91 is not, however, about you getting a pass from your problems. Now, here, this is the pro right. Here's the problem. It sounds, doesn't it sound right now, like I'm just I'm taking away with my left hand what I just gave you with my right. 
I know it may sound like that, but it, it, that is, that's not really what's happening. Because Psalm 91 never says that, that if you trust God, you're going to get a total pass from your problems. And so many people misunderstand it at this level. And usually, it, 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 then, it turns on then, you know, the issue becomes, do I have enough trust? Do I have enough faith? If I have enough faith, then God is going to give me a pass from my problems. He will protect me from all my problems. It's just a matter of having enough trust. No, Psalm 91 does not say that. It's, it's not about you getting a pass from your problems. And I can give you three reasons why. First of all, God himself explicitly says it. You know, go back to the end there where God is speaking in 14, 15, and 16. In verse 15, God himself explicitly says, I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. Now, if God is going to give you a pass from all your problems, when are you going to be in trouble? When are you going to need rescue? You see? And if that's not clear enough, the consistent testimony of the Bible is that believers in the Lord will have trouble. They will suffer. Right? The number one principle of biblical interpretation is that you, you know, when you come across something that you don't understand, the first thing you do is you, 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 you interpret the Bible by the Bible. The Bible is internally consistent. So you, you, so you, you cannot, you, you must not read Psalm 91 to say that you get a total, God is promising you a total pass from your problems when the whole rest of the entire Bible says the exact opposite. Think about Joseph, the Old Testament, right? Thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of sexual assault, thrown into prison, forgotten in that prison for years. Think of Job, lost his children, lost his job, lost his health lost his friends. Think of the Apostle Paul. He has a long list of, of his hardships and suffering in, in 2 Corinthians. Not the least of which were three shipwrecks. Imagine somebody having three shipwrecks. I mean, just one is enough, isn't it? Think, think of Jesus himself. The one person in all of history who trusted in the Lord perfectly and yet he suffered greatly. Jesus did. And Jesus himself told us, right? John 16, 33. In, the, in this world, you will have tribulation, trouble, suffering. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And, and third and last, I mean, you, you, you don't want to read Psalm 91 as a promise of complete problem avoidance because that's how Satan wants you to read it. 
As far as I know, the only record we have of Satan quoting Scripture is when he quotes Psalm 91. And he quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus during during that 40-day trial of Jesus in the desert. When, when, when Satan is trying to uh, undermine the mission, trying to, to keep Jesus uh, off mission, get Jesus off mission, right? And so he, t- he tells Jesus, look, why don't you just show everybody that you're the son of God? Just jump off the tower of the temple. And you, and you can do that. You know why? Because God is going to give his angels charge over you. They're going to bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You won't stub your toe, Jesus. And Jesus rejects that interpretation of Psalm 91. He shuts Satan down to read Psalm 91 as a problem that as a believer in God, you should be avoiding problems, that God should be steering you around problems, is to set yourself up for disillusionment, it's to set yourself up for disappointment, and that's exactly where Satan wants you. To be disappointed and disillusioned with God on false premises. And we really have to handle Psalm 91 with kid gloves. This, this, was, this was one of the weapons that, that Satan was using even against Jesus himself. So, if the, if the, pro, if the promise is this problem of, sorry, if, if this promise is a promise of protection, massive protection from any trouble, but it's not a protection from problems or suffering, then what is it? And that's our third and final point. The promise of Psalm 91 is, 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 is really a promise that you are going to ultimately prevail through your problems. Okay? Okay? Now, how does it tell you that you're going to do that? This is something I had not seen ever before until I was studying the the psalm for this this, uh, meditation here. Um, I'd never seen it. But right in the middle of the psalm is the key to understanding it. Verses 7 and 8 where it says a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. What I had not appreciated before was that that is not just a general reference to some kind of uh, you know, military Uh, battle or something. It is a specific reference to God's judgment. This is talking about God's final judgment. Now I know that that's an unpopular uh, teaching today. It is in our culture anyway. Um, but, But it is, we cannot avoid it. Jesus did not avoid it. 
Jesus over and over again, as, and, as well as the other writers of the New Testament, affirm that, uh, as it says in Hebrews, it is appointed for every person to die once, and after that comes judgment. This is, this is a reality that we, we are all going to face, the, the judgment of God. So what Psalm 91 is, is in the end of, at the end of the day promising is that God is going to protect you from that final judgment. And what that means for you is that as God himself promises right at the very end of the psalm, what that means is that God himself will honor you and satisfy you with long life, which is one of God's great understatements, right? Because life with God, long life with God is everlasting life. And he will see to it that you see your salvation. And what that means then is that no problem you're experiencing today or will experience tomorrow or next year, no suffering, no trial, nothing that you confront in this world has the power or will have the power to ultimately harm you, to ultimately separate you from God and his love for you and the abundant life that he has promised to give you. That's what Psalm 91 is saying. Let me give you a, a Jesus version of Psalm 91. Jesus said effectively the same thing that Psalm 91 is saying in Luke 21. In Luke 21, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them what's going to happen to his followers in the future after he's gone. After he's you know, been killed, resurrected, and ascended. Uh, this is what's going to happen. Jesus says, you will be delivered up. That's handed over to the authorities. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. And then listen to this. But not a hair of your head will perish. So you suffer. You're persecuted. You're arrested. You're imprisoned. You're, you're, you're hated. You're, you may even be executed but don't worry, not a hair of your head will perish. That's Jesus. But that's exactly what Psalm 91 is promising. The Lord is protecting you now and will protect you till the end from all ultimate harm, guaranteed. Nothing you're going through now, nothing that you're afraid of, nothing that you're anxious about will ultimately harm you or separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord.
So what do you do? How do you respond to that? Well, actually, Jesus tells us how. He goes on in Luke 21 to say, it's by by long-suffering, that's how the King James puts it, by long-suffering or patient endurance, you will preserve your souls. How do we respond to Psalm 91? We patiently endure through our suffering, through our trouble, knowing with a certainty that none of them will separate you from God or ultimately harm you or ultimately keep you from the abundant life, abundant everlasting life that he's giving you. See, I told you it was realistic and honest. One last thing, though, and I'll close with this, because I, I, I'll tell you, I, as, I, as I was studying this and praying about it, something jumped out at me about that description of God's final judgment that troubled me. Right there in verse, in verse 8, it, God says that, you know, uh, you and I uh, as believers in, in Jesus are going to one day look upon and see the recompense of the wicked. God's just retaliation against the wicked. And and here's my problem. As I imagined myself in that scenario someday, and someday we're all going to be there, and 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 I'm standing there, and and I'm seeing people on both sides being condemned in the, in the final judgment, not surviving that final judgment, not standing in it. And yet I am, and they're not because they're wicked. And I look at myself and I go, I'm no different, <laughs> right? I, you know, I, there is, I, I'm, I know that by God's standards and even by my own standards, I'm one of the wicked. Now, I, if you're an unbeliever, I know this is, this is uh, difficult to hear because we, wicked we associate with being, you know, monstrous or, you know, like a witch, right? Uh, no, w- wicked is, is to... Is to is to fall short of the standards that the Creator sets for us. And I know that I fall short of those standards. I know I fall short, and I suspect you do, if you're honest, you know you fall short of your own standards. Right? I yell at people on the freeway who don't keep my standards of driving, and five minutes later, I'm cutting somebody off. I know I don't love God with my whole heart. I don't love my neighbor as myself. So where is the confidence? Where do you and I find the confidence 
of Psalm 91? Where, how, do, how, do, how can we be confident that Psalm 91 will hold true for us, that we really will be kept from future judgment? The confidence can't come from my own holiness. It's not there. And, and it can't come from how strong I'm holding on to the Lord because frankly, friends, even though I'm a pastor, sometimes my hold on to the Lord isn't very strong. It waxes and wanes. I'm weak. If, if, if my confidence is in the strength of my faith, I have no confidence. So where's the confidence? Well, what makes, imagine that scenario, you're standing there, people are falling in the judgment, you're not, you're just like them, except for one thing, what? You're trusting in the Lord. It's the only difference, right? You've, you've put your trust in the Lord, and the Lord has promised to protect you from his judgment, and there is a stunning image of the way God protects you from his judgment here in Psalm 91 that you need to see and focus on. It's Psalm 91.4. He will cover you with his pinions. Those are feathers. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. Just let's camp on that image for a second. Right? It's a common image used a lot in the Old Testament. And Jesus picked it up. And Jesus used it. And the reason I know it's an, Im it's, it's an image of God protecting us from judgment is that's how Jesus used it. Jesus talking about the, in the context of judgment, right? He was lamenting over Jerusalem. And how Jerusalem had rejected him and was therefore facing a future judgment for its rejection of him. And he laments, Jesus does, in Luke 13, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Normally, I wouldn't say People Magazine is a great place for theological research, but uh, a couple of years ago, in the online edition of People Magazine, they, they ran a video uh, of, um, of a chicken, a hen, uh, that got caught in a thunderstorm with her chicks. And, and it's a video of these chicks running to this hen and her sp spreading her wings and all these chicks, you know, get, getting, pro getting protection from this thunderstorm under uh, her wings. It was, it's an am it was amazing to see that. Uh, and I'm going, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. It's exactly what Psalm 91 is talking about. But think, and, and, and it, this is how Jesus is saying, and now Psalm 91 is saying, God protects you from judgment. Think about the mechanism of protection there in that video. 
I'm watching this, this chicken, this hen, getting soaking wet. It's freezing. It's a, it's a cold thunderstorm. It's pouring rain, right? And, and she, there she is out in the open, and, and the chicks are totally protected. How? How? Because the mother is absorbing the assault of the thunderstorm, right? She's completely absorbing it. She gets cold, she gets soaking wet, but because she gets cold and wet, her chicks get warm and stay dry. How does God protect you from his judgment, his future judgment? Friends, in the exact same way. You know, I think we're tempted in this marvel age to think that God's gonna, you know, fly in like a superhero and somehow protect us from, from, from that day. No! He's gonna protect us like a mother hen. <laughs> this table tells the whole story. God the Father, in his great love for you, sent his son Jesus to spread his arms over you to put his arms around you by having his arms stretched out and nailed to a cross. And it was on that cross that God assaulted Jesus. He just poured out all of his judgment that was meant for you onto his son. Just like the, the mother hen absorbed the thunderstorm, and protected her chicks, so Jesus absorbed the judgment of God and protects his people. Under Jesus' encircling arms, Christian, you're judgment-free. You're protected. God will never, ever exact his justice from you because he has already exacted it from his son on your behalf. So that's why you come to this table today. That's the story this table tells. Right? Come to this table and go under the protecting, stretched out, wing-like arms of Jesus and know for a certainty that your future is secure, no amount of trouble, no amount of suffering will separate you from the love of Jesus and from the life he's promised you. And let that reality of this great love and this great protection, let that power your patient endurance. It's hard. We pay, but we patiently endure in the power of that protecting love. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're to come to your table now, and so we ask that you would be present by your Holy Spirit and may the bread and the wine, just like your word, uh, speak to us your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.